Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Matt Harris, editor here at EM360, and your host on today's episode. Make sure you stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by subscribing to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, or wherever you go for your podcast needs. In today's episode, I'm joined by Russell King, CEO at Zydus. We're going to be talking about the risks and ethics of digital identity verification. Russell, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me. No worries at all. Could you just give us a little background on um, who you are and what you do? Uh, certainly. I am the founder and CEO of Zydus, um, and we are an organization that set about uh, almost a decade ago to address the challenges in digital identity. Lovely stuff. Yeah, of course, we're here today to talk about digital identity and its verification space. Um, what is kind of like driving the rapid growth in this corner of the industry? Well, I think we have to look to the pandemic, really. As dreadful a situation as that was, that has been a um, primary driver to why the market has uh, seen such exponential growth in such a short period of time. Mm. Uh, with people being remote, both consumers and employees, it creates an enormous set of challenges for organizations who were perhaps not quite as well prepared for such an event as, uh, as we would all hope, have hoped. Yeah, I guess, how do you kind of see the space developing over the next five years? You know, do you, do you see it kind of like responding in like a positive way post-COVID? Or? Uh, I think, yes, I think organizations are behaving uh, or responding very well and um, with a great deal of consideration for what their challenges are and looking for organizations that are, can ultimately solve them, not just for today, but for the longer term. So I think the pandemic whilst it created a sense of urgency, organisations were not unaware of these challenges. These were things that we had a very nascent market where organisations were looking and evaluating different applications and different technologies. I think what the pandemic did is just drove the market forward, perhaps two or three notches, to where now there is certainly budget allocation and even in the C-suite, an individual who ultimately has responsibility for identity. Mm. And where, where do you kind of see this, you know, by like 2025, 2030? You know, how, how do you see the, the space kind of uh, developing uh, technology-wise and kind of like maybe culturally-wise as well? Well, I think we will see significant growth in utilisation for employers on, on the work side and that creates an opportunity to really drive the use or reuse of digital identity forward. One of the challenges that we've had in this space is how do you successfully reuse uh, digital identity? That requires an enrollment process that one can have confidence in, and that's been a challenge. And at what point does one look at enrollment of identity. Consumers themselves have demonstrated little appetite for an additional process that doesn't seem to provide a great deal of value here and now. So you've also got the privacy issues of enrolling uh, consumers uh, and a consent-driven environment. But on the employer side and um, for commercial operators, it's a slightly different world. They must go through a process when they're onboarding new employees to validate and verify that 
this individual has the right to work in the jurisdiction in which they're being hired. Uh, and that presents a very compelling opportunity to enroll that identity, given you then, once they are an employee, you're then going to provide them access to systems and networks that uh, give broad exposure to risk. So a verification process that onboards them successfully meets the challenges in a global organization for the right to work component and or the eligibility uh, verification for work authorization, but gives them an opportunity equally to enroll that identity at the point they're onboarding them. Uh, and I think that will continue to play out and we'll see a greater interest and appetite from organizations and employers in pursuing that sort of opportunity. Mm. And just to kind of get into like specifics there, I mean, what are some of the the main challenges for businesses when it comes to verifying their workers and, and verifying customers as well? Well, verifying customers, um, organizations have a regulatory obligation um, to verify and validate things like KYC, know your customer and, uh, and meeting anti-money laundering regulations. So there is this regulatory component when it comes to customers when there is a financial component to a transaction, opening a bank account, securing credit, etc., etc. So that's not an unusual obligation or experience that organizations have had to look to digitize. It's then adding this identity piece in that has created the challenge uh, and not only adding it in, but equally applying a process where it can be reused successfully. The challenges for, as well as having a consistent approach to these processes, wherever they do business, I think that's been a significant challenge is you've got disparate processes throughout an organization, whether it's for the consumer uh, or the employee, and that creates enormous challenges as to how you can audit and determine where your risk is in a business that's global when you've got all of these disparate processes that um, regional and um, in-country management have implemented. I think the most important consideration is to deliver consistency, a consistent approach that removes one of the greatest challenges to any consistent approach, which is um, the human being, uh, which is a terrible arbiter of any consistency. If you apply technology to these processes, ultimately you are applying a consistent process. Yeah, no, I think I think that's really important important to point, uh, point to make. And and when we're sort of like covering that whole kind of like human error aspect of it, kind of brings us nicely onto the kind of aspect of facial recognition. Uh, I know that you know tends to attract a lot of criticism when it comes to like ethics and bias and, and the kind of like risks to data privacy that it it kind of poses as well. Um, where do you kind of stand on the topic? Well, I think it's perfectly understandable that um, there has been such concern uh, around the in-the-wild capture of people's facial biometrics. You know, it's not something that we can replace until, of course, we're living in Mission Impossible 3 world where we're wearing masks and can sound and look exactly like who we wish to. Uh, it is a permanent record, your face. And there has been a great deal of activity where people's faces are gathered without necessarily their consent. 
Over the, the element around bias, uh, I think that we have seen examples where individuals have different ethnicity and background have been challenged to utilize a biome- facial biometric service. And of course, that is going to create enormous criticism because there shouldn't really be a basis for that. Uh, ultimately, it's what is your input model to train these systems that will ultimately determine whether there is any um, ethnicity bias. There is absolutely no evidence to suggest that um, facial biometrics in and of themselves have, have any bias. They don't. They, they could care less what a face looks like. It's measurements that they are assessing. Um, so I think that's something that uh, we could certainly do a more diligent job in communicating but when consumers consistently hear of issues that people experience then those become front and center data privacy equally important we've got regulations globally in in most parts of the four corners of the world where we again have to uphold certain uh, regulatory practices and processes around the maintenance and uh, security of individual personally identifiable information. I think one of the values that um, a process like facial recognition brings is it doesn't have to contain any personal information to become a reusable record. One of the elements that um, we feel our our clients find particularly compelling is the fact that we are not looking and comparing faces. We are converting a face to uh, what is ultimately a numerical string. And it is that that is then compared with a subsequent event where we are attempting to authenticate a user that was previously verified. That contains absolutely no personally identifiable information of the user or the enrolled person whatsoever. It just requires a single unique identifier for it to be stored you could store that in the middle of um, Piccadilly and it would be perfectly safe and from abuse of those who've got nefarious intent. So I think that makes it a very compelling prospect, ultimately, to see digital identity really um, achieve its its enormous value. There's a lot of misinformation out there, but I, I shouldn't say misinformation. There is a lot of information out there that's negative. Um, you know, it's, it's quite valid. Um, it really is. You know, some organizations have just done an appalling job of uh, promoting any value in facial recognition. Uh, even organizations that we all know and use frequently, there have been some ghastly examples of misidentification of human beings and um, non-human beings. And that just does really an appalling job of making people feel comfortable. Yeah, I think I think it's sort of understanding that line between you know, not watching too many sci-fi movies <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of like understanding where, where the real problems lie. So, Well, it is quite amusing when you see things like, um, you know, having lived in the States for 20 years, Matt, CSI, um, you know, where you see facial recognition supposedly being used and just the faces that are being looked at in very quick succession as if that's how a system yeah. works is you know quite amusing really but yeah, I, I i'm a big fan of the way they uh, enhance pictures that's always a good one <laughs> <laughs> it really is uh, um i'm not sure that does any harm but it certainly does suggest um an area of uh 
facial recognition that I think just when it is being talked about commercially needs to be clarified. Do you feel as though it the, the technology is kind of a bit demonised? I mean, I know a lot of uh, a lot of people, you know, will understand that they're kind of on camera and you know that makes them feel a bit uneasy. Is that is that fair to say that it's it's de- demonised a little bit? I don't think so. No, um, you know, demonising would suggest that there's um, unwarranted information being um, consumed or distributed to to the public, and I, I don't know that that's fair. I think there have been very good examples where bias is is introduced and ethically how people are capturing information, whether it's done through a consent-driven process. I think people have become extremely comfortable in uh, photos and selfies. Uh, I mean, let's face it, over the last sort of 10 years, there's been an explosion in the use of mobile devices for capturing face. I think as long as an individual understands that their face is being utilised in an identity-based transaction, uh, and that's done in a transparent and open way, and that there is an opportunity for that um, uh, experience to then enroll a very safe and secure credential uh, of that individual that can then be reused for ease of access and give them required security in subsequent engagement. I think people are, are very positive about that experience we all like things that ultimately um, are easy, given that the information that has historically been publicised about things like facial recognition, I think we've just got to do a better job of communicating where the value proposition is and being transparent in what we're doing and how we're doing it and ensure that all of these events um, involve consent at the point where they are originated. Yeah, I think I think the kind of issue around awareness is like an important point to make do you, do you feel as though further education kind of moving forward is quite important to the kind of like development and the you know democratization of the technology oh it's absolutely essential you know I mean, facial recognition is not new it's been around and deployed very successfully by law enforcement and intelligence agencies for years i mean 25 30 plus years it's as it's become exposed to the consumer that I think we've yet to do the job that we need to, to give people comfort and confidence. If we had, we wouldn't have uh, a sense that people feel uncomfortable with it. Uh, So I think that's a clear yardstick that tells us we've got a lot more to do. Hmm. Yeah, and just to kind of like pull everything back towards the kind of enterprise angle, how can companies ensure that, you know, digital identity processes, like how can they remain relevant as businesses undergo that increasing level of digital transformation? Well, I think the transformation component that organizations are um, hurtling through the best of their ability actually doesn't really need to impact the manner in which they are capturing and verifying and enrolling and then reusing a digital identity. Uh, One of the, again, you've been turning it back to Zydus, but one of the components that we feel uh, is is particularly well received by the market is the manner in which one deploys our service doesn't create any dependencies on any third-party systems. Uh, and that, I think, is incredibly important. We play well with others. Uh, we're not creating a, 
fixed line in the sand that doesn't allow flexibility for future needs and requirements of organisations. You know, they've got a number of things ahead of them. One of them is regulatory change. That continues to grow. And a solution that provides a digital identity or an identity management proposition must be flexible so that there is confidence that it can continue to expand and be organically deployed further into the organization without creating um, a fixed loop as well as providing the uh, accommodation for future business strategies, but just as importantly, perhaps even more so, to support the regulatory environment as that continues to change and expand. So I think the digital transformation component is is one aspect, but it's ensuring that whatever uh, identity management solution one is looking at, uh, that the architecture and the manner in which it's deployed and interacts with uh, existing process uh, and gives you the flexibility to um, consider your transformative strategy uh, as an organization. I think those are key considerations. Uh, it must be flexible and it must not create dependencies uh, on the technologies that an organization might deploy at some point in the future. Mm. Well, well, very well said, I think, that. Um, well, thanks so much for joining us today, Russell. It was really, really great to get your insights. Well, thank you very much for having me, Matt. Nice to meet you, sir. And you, sir. Well, and also thank you to everyone for listening. We hope you took a lot away from today's episode, but for further information on what we discussed, please head on over to Zydus.com. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series, but until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, please head on over to EM360Tech.com. Mm-hmm.